the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much for joining us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. We're on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Our special co-host, Carol Zernial, a nationally known gerontologist, chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging, and the executive director for the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Good to see you. Good to see you. We, we have survived the new year, the ice storms. Um, and it's good to be back. And you had a happy birthday. You are a January 1st baby. That's right. Every time it's a new year, which was fun. You know, when you're little, it's fun. New Year's, ooh, New Year's yeah, exactly. birthday, yay. And then when you get old, you're like, oh, my gosh, it's another New Year's. It's another <laughs> year. Um, and your birthday takes on a kind of a different tone. Ah, but every year is bigger and better. <laughs> well, it is, you know, and, and I am filled with gratitude for, you know, being able to work with WellMed Charitable Foundation, with you, Ron, and excited about That's 2018. I like working with you. And we've got a very special guest coming on in a few minutes. Only taken us five years to get her on, Evelyn Greb, nationally known social worker, clinical social worker out in San Diego, who's very active with the Caregiver SOS program. Well, she is, and, and I know that Evelyn won't say it, but she she really has had a very distinguished career and has been working for years and years and years to try to help us have a long-term care system so that caregivers don't have to go it alone. So, right. you know, really tough fighter and advocate for caregivers. Well, it being the new year, talk to me about Happy New Year Resolutions and where we are on those? Well, you know, we do. I, I drove past the local YMCA last night and noticed that the parking lot was absolutely jammed because everybody, all of a sudden, we've all had too much over the holidays and everybody's going to the gym. They've all got their new gym memberships or their Y memberships. And so um, the Washington Post had five myths about exercise, <laughs> which I thought <laughs> for all of us out there who've decided today we're going to the gym, it's the new year, um, to, to think about. You know, in myth number one, and I see people carrying around their Gatorade, right? I'm going to the gym and I have my bottle of Gatorade because I need a sports drink. I'm exercising. So myth number one is, you know, if you're not doing endurance kinds of sports like playing an entire football game or an entire basketball game or doing a solid hour of heavy-duty exercise, you don't need that sports drink. It's really sugar. It's like a, it's almost like a soda almost. Water. Just yeah. get water. Well, water. And, and did you know that we our bodies are better with a little bit of dehydration? Overhydration is the problem. And so if you do a little bit of exercise and you're like, oh, I must be dehydrated, I sweat, and you glug, 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 a sugar, you know, any kind of uh, sports drink or, or water, that's actually worse. It'd be better to be just slightly dehydrated than overwatered. So that's myth number one. Um, myth number two is all those crunches and abdominal exercises are going to trim your belly fat. No, Doesn't work? It makes your muscles tone so that you can't see your belly fat. <laughs> <laughs> but the fat is still there. Oh, that was such a painful yeah, thing to read. Yeah, it hides it. Yeah, that, you know, the love handles and all that. So, actually, you have to lose weight and fat. So, I don't have to worry about being ripped. <laughs> no, no, you don't have to have a, a six-pack. What is oh. it? One of the cartoons they talk about having an eight-pack. Eight that was, was yeah. really funny. <laughs> um, protein pow- powders are a good way to bulk up. You know, bulking up, that's something that more men do. I, women, we don't the rock. necessarily yeah, want to bulk up. But... Yeah, again, that's powdered drinks for protein are really not that necessary. You know, we do need to make sure that we lift weights. That's important. The lift um, weightlifting part is important as we get older because resistance. we do lose muscle mass. Yeah, resistance. Um, and so, you know, um, myth number four is endurance exercise is best for cardiovascular health. You know, we've talked about this before. The best thing is couch potato to walking. 
Walking is not an endurance sports in most situations. It can be. But it does, you don't have to go out there and just kill yourself. It's moving more than you used to move that really, you know, helps get Every your Every incremental going. increase. A- incremental increases. Um, and if you work out consistently, you'll lose weight. Not true. That's you to lose. You're going to have to eat less. It's you know, it's really <laughs> calories in, calories out. I have bad news, and so you're going to burn those calories. But if you feel good about yourself, you burn the calories and treat yourself to a gelato on the way home. Um, you're not going to lose weight. <laughs> no, so, not, there you go. Sorry, not going to happen. Myth, New Year's resolution myth busting. Big cup of froyo. Yeah. Speaking of exercise, uh, president gets his physical. He's overweight doesn't exercise, doesn't believe in exercise. His doctor prescribes exercise, and the president's response is, not going to do it. And yet we know exercise has incredible benefits. Well, that's right. And we're certainly not saying that exercise is not Exercise is a great idea, but exercise has a place within an overall health regime. Yes, exactly. Okay, up next. And this is something I happened to see the headline on this, and it just shocked me. I thought it was excellent. Let's say you're taking a pill. And you've been taking it for a long time, and it's you don't have any side effects. And then, boom, suddenly you do. Well, you know, that was as big a surprise to me as it was to you. And, again, this came from the health and science section of the Washington Post. I did not even think about how if I've been taking a medication for a long time and you see the long list of side effects because you get the little printout every time you get the prescription refilled or you buy something you know, over yeah. the counter. One that says death always yeah, catches Yeah, yeah, and death is possible. <laughs> right. Um, you know, you don't think about be- developing a side effect after you've been taking it for years. So surprise, you can become, um, you can have a reaction to a medication you've been taking forever. Wow. All of a sudden, out of the blue, you just can't tolerate it anymore. And so... You know, the, what the article points out is if you start having side effects, like it's those things on the commercials where they say, this medication may cause nausea, headaches, and vomiting. Well, if you develop nausea, headaches, and vomiting, does it happen after you take the medication? So you really have to track the side effects or the symptoms that you're experiencing, see if it's related somehow into when you take the drugs. There are drugs you shouldn't just stop taking if you suddenly developed an yeah, intolerance. You know, you really do need to talk to your doctor or your pharmacist. If you're doing over-the-counter, mm-hmm. you want to talk to the pharmacist about what's going on, you know, do that. They're, they're a great resource. But that was a surprise. Side effects can occur out of nowhere on a medication you've been taking for. I had that happen with contact lenses, which I wore forever. And then all of a sudden, my eyes said, no more. No more. I had the same thing. That's right. And they just fogged up and st- were all it was awful. cloudy, sticky. Yeah, it's it's no fun. And you can't see anything. (laughs) So I got LASIK surgery instead. Oh, well, there you go. Which worked. I got different lenses. (laughs) You were more practical. (laughs) Now, if you want to take a look at one of the concerns that every senior has, and by the way, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM. The answer we will be talking with clinical social worker Evelyn Greb in just a few minutes talking now with our co-host Carol Zerniel about issues that are very much in the news. Uh, many seniors are concerned about developing dementia and Alzheimer's. And there's a, a question that a lot of people have, which is caring for someone with Alzheimer's, a cure for Alzheimer's. Well, Where this, is that cure? Because I want it. Well, I want the cure as badly as you do. But here's another one that this was a surprise. Um, somebody was they, at the Alzheimer's Association International had a conference, and they said, so what happens? Let's say we get the cure. Tomorrow we get a cure for Alzheimer's. Then what happens? And guess what? It's not going to be good because we lack the infrastructure to actually get that new cure. If we were to develop a cure for Alzheimer's, number one, we don't have enough physicians trained to diagnose dementia. Number two, we don't have enough machinery, the scanners to do the brain scans and everything, to be able to do all those scans. Number three, our healthcare system, you're talking two million people that would, or would you know, probably are going to develop Alzheimer's right. before they have the cure. How do you get all the people who have the symptoms, mild cognitive impairment and the symptoms of memory loss through the healthcare system when it's millions and millions and millions of people. So if we were to get a cure, the study found that people would have to wait a year and a half before they could ever even get the drug. Wow. If we've got the cure tomorrow, a year and a half. And if we don't get the cure tomorrow, that wait's going to be longer. Can I be selfish? 
Just get it for me. Just get it for you. Well, you're going to have to, you know, have a friendly relationship with the, whoever develops this cure that we're talking about. But, you know, this paints the bigger picture, right? Exactly. We definitely need the cure, but we also have to address the, you know, the holes in our healthcare system that will allow us to be successful when there is a cure. We, you know, we simply don't have enough docs. Now, knowing that, a lot of people who have Alzheimer's will still have it. So what are some tips on visiting people with Alzheimer's? And, of course, you went through this in your own family for a long time. Well, you know, that's, it, it's true because when you go to visit somebody who has memory loss or, you know, medium to late stage uh, dementia, it can be hard to have a visit with them. You know, it's, it's not always uh, an easy experience. And, uh, and the first thing is something we've talked about often is, you know, you've got to go into their world. They're not coming into yours. So, you know, you can't just walk in there. Remember this, Mom? Remember when you did that? Remember? What do you mean? You don't, you don't recognize me? I'm your, you know, your daughter. I've, you know, you raised me. What do you mean you don't remember? If Mom thinks that you're, um, you know, somebody else, you, oh, you're that, you know, my mother-in-law used to say, you're that cute young thing. Okay, I don't know who that is. She never knew my name. She never knew my relationship with her son. But she would say, you're that cute young thing. And I would say, yes, I am. And she'd say, I knew it. And I would just smile at her. And so, you know, that was fine. It didn't matter. I did, you know, we, we have to kind of let go. It has to be okay to, to be somebody else, to go into their world. Um, and then if, if, if we're in a situation where they're asking, you know, we've, we've been with an older person and they've asked you for the hundredth time. What time is it? What time is it? What time is it? Or when's my doctor's appointment? When's my doctor's appointment? You can say, the doctor's appointment's at two. What's that song that goes with that? What, five foot two, eyes of blue? And we can redirect them into something else, and hopefully they'll forget about the doctor's appointment. It's a good point. So, you know, we can be creative in the ways that we redirect them and we make the visit more, um, you know, enjoyable. Uh, you know, uh, people with Alzheimer's really feel so isolated. Imagine how confusing and scary it must be in your head when you can't understand what's going on. And so a pat on the back, no, don't grab them, but a, a touch of the hand, a light touch. People with Alzheimer's a lot of times like that reassurance. They never get touched. Yeah, well, and, you know, you don't, like, so you don't want to come up behind them and scare them to death, but just a nice light touch. Um, it, you know, and don't keep bringing up the past. Allow them to be creative, you know, and Maybe you're going to make up a story together. Maybe you're going to look at the little bobblehead that they have on the windowsill and make up a story about bobblehead Bill that's there on the windowsill. Um, and then, you know, it, don't be afraid if they get angry and have an outburst. You know, it, when somebody has an outburst, just agree with them. You've you got to be okay with little white lies if you're going to deal with dementia. And so if somebody says, you know, I know the plane is going to crash into the building. I know it's going to crash. Say, you know, th the plane may crash into the building, but right now, you know, we're safe. We're safe right now. And we're going to let's why don't we take a walk? Let's move out of here. And then the plane won't get us. And, it's a good you know, idea. go ahead. So the, just little tricks, but just know um, you kind of have to keep an open mind and be flexible and agreeable. I remember you talking about your wedding where your mother-in-law thought it was for her. Exactly. She thought the wedding was it was her party. it was her party and she was the guest of honor. And that was fine because she had her own receiving line over on the side um, and people were congratulating her for her son's marriage. But she thought it was for her and that was fine. You know, and she Perfect. nodded and waved the queen for the day. I'm Evelyn happy. Greb joins us in a moment. Evelyn Greb, a clinical social worker who a lot of folks know, should be with us next on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel. You hear us on 930 AM, The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to well, I'm at radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Well, we are so pleased you are with us still on Caregiver SOS On Air. 
I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. And as we have been promising, we've got a very special guest joining us, Evelyn Greb, the social worker who graduated with a master's in science and social work in 1973 from uh, San Diego State University and has worked locally there ever since, started two of the state and county first adult day health care centers. She also is a tremendous participant and supporter for many of the Caregiver SOS programs, including the Teleconnection, where she is very often a guest talking about important issues that affect caregiving. Evelyn has consulted with public programs, foundations, and private agencies, improving the quality of life for persons with disabilities and for elderly persons as well, and licensed as a clinical social worker in the great state of California. Evelyn, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I know Carol has spoken highly of you from uh, the first time I ever met Carol. She said, oh, we got to get Evelyn on. And here we are, five years and here later. We, and here we are. And we did it so quickly. Yeah, five years <laughs> later. So, and Evelyn, you know, besides being a guest on the Teleconnection, she also facilitates many of our Teleconnection sessions. And so, you know, how many years have you been a facilitator for us, Evelyn? Eight. Eight years. So for the listeners who don't know what our Caregiver Teleconnection is, it's a telephone-based education and support program where we have experts, doctors, lawyers, social workers like Evelyn, um, talk about issues uh, of interest to caregivers. And they have a conversation. You can ask questions like we just had a session this week with an elder law attorney. And a lot of the people on the phones, because that's all you need is a phone, had a lot of questions. So after eight years of, of facilitating these teleconnection sessions, Evelyn, you know, do you pick up any trends? You know, are there are there things that seem to really weigh heavily or always um, of, of key interest to the caregivers on the phone? Well, Carol, I know that you had asked me to think about this before, and I also talked with my wonderful colleague, Glenda Rogers, because we do many of the teleconnection sessions together. And, and together we came up with three primary topics that generally come up, and, and maybe there's a lot of subtopics under them, but loss, guilt, and anger are absolutely just so high on the list for caregivers because, you know, what they're dealing with every day is often not only not what they thought it was going to be, it's not how they saw themselves, it's not, they're not feeling really good about everything they're doing, and in many instances, they're feeling kind of trapped and out of control. So loss, guilt, and anger, these are, these are not positive emotions that you're describing. You know, I think caregivers do what they do as a great gift the person that they love and whether that's their parent or their spouse or their child or a friend it's it's a gift but I think at some point when there's so much negative feeling attached to it it becomes something different than a gift and I guess you know when we talked about the session today what what I really just want to say to people is these are natural feelings, they're normal feelings, they're reactions. You know, our feelings are something that it, it's a sense that comes up, but we can control it. We can actually react to it in a different way because the only thing we can control basically is ourselves. Let me pick and, up, if, if I may, on something you said, and that is while it's a gift as a caregiver, more often than not, it's not a gift anyone really intended to give. Well, people certainly choose it. I mean, you know, many of these folks could be in nursing homes instead of at home with the caregivers taking care of them. And many of the caregivers we have on the phone are quite elderly, and it's not an easy task for them. No, it's very difficult. And when you say they choose it, some really have no choice. They can't afford a nursing home. They can't afford uh, any kind of uh, in-home health care. And so that gift that they give every day uh, is a gift that is really weighing heavily on them. Well, I think you're partially right. Um, you know, there is there is Medicaid. People can go on Medicaid if they can't afford to go to a nursing home. Um, there are home health aides who come from Medicare. So there are some, you know, some parts of the long-term care system that are publicly funded, but 
many times our caregivers, you know, they have chosen to keep their folks at home because they love them or sometimes because they promised they would never put them in a nursing home, which is one of the things that we always caution against because if someone needs 24-7 care, that's probably where they belong. There is no, you know, there's no one on the face of this earth who can provide 24-7 care to another human being. Well, and, and, I, and I think that's a really important point and, and one of the reasons that uh, we try to reinforce that. You know, I'm thinking about my own father who took care of my mother with Alzheimer's and he was exactly what you're talking about, Evelyn. He was angry, short-tempered all the time with my mother and we decided to place her, which, you know, has its ups and downs. You don't stop being a caregiver. That's another fallacy when you put someone in a long-term care facility. But once she was there... His anger towards my mother disappeared, and suddenly where he hadn't been able to see her as a woman with Alzheimer's, as a person with a disease, once she moved into the memory care unit, he would say, oh, she's just sick. You know, that's the disease. And he got to enjoy being the husband again instead of being the caregiver. He still took care of her, but he had a whole different relationship. He went back to where he was. Let me tell folks who just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron with our very special guest, caregiver Helen Greb, who is out in a wonderful place in the world, San Diego, California. And I'm sure you've heard that story before, Evelyn, about when someone finally makes that decision uh, to put somebody into, for example, a memory care unit, uh, a lot of their stress and anger dissipates. You know, I think I think that's partially true. Um, you know, I think for Carol's dad, it was a wonderful thing. I think many people feel, and, and it has a lot to do with families. And families often don't want people to go to a nursing home because they want the money. And I'm sorry to be so crass, but, you know, I think one of the things that happens in families where someone in, in, the, in who's older may have some resources is that families fight over whether someone should go into a nursing home. So there's still all of this sense of, you know, the, the caregiver feeling like it's, it would be a bad thing to do, the family putting pressure on them not to do it, you know, to keep taking care of mom or dad or the spouse because they're interested in the money. I mean, there's so, it's a very complicated situation, and it's why it's so important that people get counseling. It's so important that people don't get, that caregivers don't get isolated, you know, Dad, Carol's dad is so lucky because he had Carol and other people who were supporting him and advising him. And that's what caregivers need. They can't do it alone. They can't become isolated and think they're the only ones that are going through this and nobody understands. Well, I think, you know, the the issue of family dynamics, I mean, we don't necessarily talk about it a lot, but definitely caregiving is not something that happens. Usually it feels like it's happening in a vacuum but it's not. There are so many different types of pressure on caregivers, whether it's not enough time, it's not enough money, it's competing interests within the family. So, you know, there's a lot of things going on. I think that going back to what you started with, that contribute to that anger and that guilt uh, and that frustration uh, that we just, we don't realize it because... You know, it's, it's hitting us all the time from all sides, and we don't really stop and think about why do I feel so pressured and why do I feel so stressed. Now, talk a little bit about, if you will, Evelyn, you mentioned uh, loss and grief and anger. Uh, talk about the, the guilt, rather, the guilt that's involved in caregiving. Well, I can't tell you how many times on our phone calls somebody has said, when we've talked about the fact that you as a caregiver need to make yourself number one, that you cannot take care of another person unless you take care of yourself. And people go, no, no, I can't do that because I feel so guilty. If I go out and I have a good time, I went out and played bingo, and I felt so bad when I came home, you know, because my my poor husband said, oh, God, I wish I could have gone, but he really can't go anywhere anymore. So there's this sense that you shouldn't be having a good time because the person that you love and are trying to take care of isn't having a good time. And I think the other thing is that, you know, many caregivers just feel like they can't do enough, and what they're doing isn't good enough because they're always tired or there's the kind of stressors that Carol just talked about going on in their lives or there's not enough money to get the kind of help that they need and they don't know where to find the resources. They don't know about the caregiver SOS. 
So why do we think we have to be perfect caregivers? I mean, the issue of guilt, it does, I mean, it's definitely there. We hear it all of the time. But why, you know, I'm trying to think, uh, are, as parents, do we think we're, guys, we're supposed to be perfect parents? We're supposed to have perfect children? Why, where does this idea of perfection come from? Well, let me see. Too many movies. Uh, it's Hollywood. Let's blame Hollywood. I don't, I don't really... And I think that I think the answer to that question lies in our own self-perception and how, you know, our expectation of ourselves, you know, that we feel like, okay, we've chosen to do this, so now we have to do the best job possible. But because someone gets more and more needy and you're no longer taking care of one person yourself, but now you're trying to take care of two people, that the stress. You know, the amount of stress that caregivers feel, we hear that on the phone constantly on the teleconnection. And this stress over a prolonged period of time can lead to burnout. And and burnout, burnout is the worst because burnout's where you just stop caring. You stop caring about yourself. You stop caring about your loved one. You just just can't deal with it anymore. And I think that's that's part of what I want, my message in this phone call is to say to people, don't, don't let yourself get there. Don't get that isolated. Don't feel like you're alone. Three of every five adults now are caregivers. All right, now hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you, and we'll pick up with the three out of five adults are caregivers and and what that represents. We're talking with Evelyn Greb, social worker in San Diego, often participating in Caregiver SOS programs. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. having a very interesting conversation with social worker Evelyn Greb, who is in uh, San Diego on our Caregiver SOS on Air hotline. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, and we're delighted to talk with you, uh, Evelyn, about uh, caregiving and some of the issues that you see. And you were talking about uh, three out of five adults are involved in caregiving these days. What does that represent? Well, if you went into a room with 20 people, (laughs) you know, how many people would be caregivers in that room? And my point was really that it's so important to understand that you're not alone, that because of what's happening in this world, because of the aging of America, the aging of the world, basically, you know, we're, we're so lucky we get older, but as we get older, many times people have illnesses, they have diseases, they have conditions, um, you know, they, they have aged. Um, with functional problems, they need help. There, and, and that help is called long-term care. And many people think Medicare pays for long-term care, but it does not. And so, who winds up providing that long-term care? Helping someone eat, helping someone dress, getting someone their medications. You know, have, helping someone get into a car so that you can drive them somewhere for a doctor's appointment. These are all things that are not paid for by anyone in this country right now. And it's why so many caregivers feel this burden, this, you know, that they have to keep doing all these things and they don't realize that there are many, many resources out there that could help them. And it's what's so important that they get to someone like the Caregiver SOS. They get to someone who can help them get resources, that can help them find out that they're not alone, can get to a support group, and find out that what they're doing is this life-giving support, this gift, you know, to, to the recipients. And unless they do that, I mean, I have to say, if people don't understand, caregivers don't understand their own need for self-care, it's often because they're older and they fear anything that's called a mental health issue. But the ability of social workers, psychologists, marriage and family counselors these days to do cognitive behavioral therapy, to really just do a short, maybe 10 or 12-week session once a week for an hour with someone who can really um, help them develop techniques, develop their own understanding of where they are in relationship to this person that they're caring for, and figure out how to take care of themselves. 
at the same t- same time that they're trying to take care of someone else. Well, the, you know, Evelyn, I've I've known you for many years and know that you have um, had private practice where you're working with people, um, and you know, there's a lot of depression that goes on in the caregiving community and in the aging community in general, a lot of depression. Um, but people don't really reach out for that kind of help. So you mentioned, you know, cognitive therapy. You know, what what does what happens if somebody calls you as a, you know, to do some therapy? You know, what maybe it's a big mystery. Maybe, you know, maybe people don't take advantage of it because they don't really understand what happens. So you mentioned techniques, but what, you know, what's that interplay? What does that therapy look like? It's actually very simple, Carolyn. I think people think, um, many many times people think, oh, I have to go back to my childhood and relive terrible things that happened in the past and, you know, whatever happened with my parents. And that's not really what it's about. Cognitive behavioral therapy is probably the most used um, method of therapy today. And it's used by all of the licensed clinical professionals pretty much in the country, I believe, it's used not only with the veterans who come home for post-traumatic stress syndrome in a little bit different way, but it's going to the therapist, sitting down, saying, okay, here's my issues. You know, I'm, I've got this huge loss. I thought I was going to have golden years. I'm not. I don't, have, I'm my, I don't even see my friends anymore because, you know, I'm taking care of my partner or talking about their guilt. I just can't do enough. And and why is it that they got sick and I didn't get sick? Or maybe it's the anger. They feel totally trapped. My mom has this anxiety and, yeah, I take a little time for myself, but she makes me pay so badly for it, you know, by complaining and crying and whining that I feel like I shouldn't do it. So then the therapist says, well, let's take each one of these situations and figure out how you might be able to respond differently. And then there is that whole the sessions about the techniques of, all right, you know, if your mom says this because she's trying to control how you feel and how you act, what is it that you can do that's practical and loving and real and takes care of you as well as your mom? And it may not be that your mom likes it all the time, but it may be reality and what needs to happen and to have someone feed that back to you and say to you it's okay not to go every weekend or it's okay to send your son to see her and just say i'm here for my mom Um, and and to have that kind of permission and the sense that you have a right to a good life the quality of life as well as the care recipient is something that few caregivers have really thought about. We'll continue that in a moment, but for folks who may have just joined us, I want to remind you, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're talking with clinical social worker Evelyn Grab about ways in which caregivers can begin to do more to care for themselves. And those are some pretty good suggestions. What about the, the whole area of anger? I, I get so angry i could pop her one well that's when people need to realize when caregivers need to realize that they need help because that's usually when you're exhausted when you've had too much when you're frustrated oftentimes what we hear in the telephone calls is if they ask me to feed them lunch the 28th time on the same day when i've already fed them lunch one hour ago i am just going to explode So that anger that you're talking about, I think it's frequent among caregivers. It is one of the things that should be a clue to them that they need to go and get something for themselves. And it's not just, I mean, oftentimes we say, well, start with your primary physician. So many primary physicians, primary care physicians, will prescribe medication like an SSRI. Um, and, And those are... Basically, Here, take a Xanax, uh, it'll all be good. Right, yeah. And those are, those are really to help chemical imbalances. And most of the time, this is situational, which is why I'm talking about cognitive behavioral therapy. Because if you can handle a situation differently, then you get more control over what's going on. 
And so many caregivers are so tired. They've given up their diet, their good diet for themselves. They've given, they, they feed their loved one great, but don't eat well themselves. They aren't, they've stopped exercising. They've stopped seeing their friends. They've stopped going to their medical appointments and doing the things that they need to do to take care of them and feel good about themselves. And they've become isolated. And there's this new study out. I am telling you, it was just amazing to me. The United Health Fund has done the survey and found out that to be isolated as a senior is the same as smoking 14 cigarettes a day or being morbidly obese. That's right. So loneliness and isolation is the new smoking, is the new obesity. It's, It's the same. It is. And that's, and that's why I say, you know, these caregivers, you know, we need to get them to reach out. We need to have them know that they're not alone. Well, and, I, you know, um, as somebody who has been to a therapist, I, I don't think people realize how good it feels to have someone, number one, who isn't going to judge you at all. I mean, you can say absolutely anything you want to your therapist, you know, and that they're on your side. They're on your team. It's like... You know, somebody's in your corner all the time, always on your side. If you feel like the whole world is against you, you've got somebody on your side. And that's a really good feeling. And getting help, you know, is a good feeling. But very often, Evelyn, as you know, very often the population uh, that we're talking about, not to stereotype, but mostly older people at the moment who are caregivers, they don't have a history of seeing therapists. In fact, there's some hesitancy to do so. Well, I, I think that's one of the things that we always talk about in our se- session on, that's entitled, Am I Depressed? Because you know, many of these folks, I can remember my mother talking about the snake pits in Portland, Oregon, where she was raised, and how she and her friends would ride their bikes past this, what was then called an insane asylum, and people would be screaming, and they could hear them because they were chained to their beds. Because then it was a weakness, it was a family problem, it was some kind of genetic issue. You didn't want to associate with families who had someone who was insane. And so I think the very, the old, old, and this is, this is going away soon because people are aging, but the old, old still have that in their hearts, that it's like a character weakness. That if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right. you'll be fine. You know, that somehow you can do that. And it doesn't happen like that. It just doesn't. Well, and, you know, and, and that's true. You know, there we, we tend to think of caregivers and or older people as this monolithic group. Um, and there's a lot of diversity. And I don't know, the baby boomers who have been through therapy, they may be demanding therapy all the time. You know, they may it, it may be a totally different situation. And I don't know, um, I haven't seen any study about, um, you know, caregivers who are children versus caregivers who are spouses or older caregivers and you know it the use of therapy and, uh, and getting help um so i don't know maybe that's research i'm sure it's out there but i've never seen yeah, it because the stereotype would be many of the baby boomers have their therapist on speed dial yeah there you go <laughs> There you go. It's you again, again, again. And well, and I don't know. You probably have some. So you're laughing. So you probably have some um, patients that have you on speed dial, right? I can't say. <laughs> you already did. It, it might be. It can neither confirm nor, nor deny. Right, exactly. Yes. Well, as you think about it, and we got a, about two minutes left, uh, as you think about the, the three major uh, pots of issues that we, we began with, uh, are, are they equally in their impact? Or if you begin to handle the guilt or you begin to handle the anger, does it all get better? You know, all I can say is your problem is your worst problem. It's different for every single caregiver. There's, there's nothing that I would say that goes across every caregiver we, we suffer things differently, we were raised differently, we had different relationships with the people that were taking, now taking care of and never knew we would be. And so it's really, you know, you met 100 caregivers, you know, if you've met 100 problems of caregivers. Wow. 
We want to give a phone number for folks, and Carol's got that number. So we've been talking about the Caregiver Teleconnection, and if you haven't participated but would like to give it a try, it's free. You'll get a chance to hear Evelyn and other people like Evelyn on the Teleconnection. Just call our toll-free number, 866-390-6491. Do it again. One more time, 866 866- Three nine zero six four nine one, or go to caregiversos.org and you can register online and see our calendar of sessions. Uh, the next one's January the 22nd. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking about uh, caregivers, you know, caregiver survival tips. That would be tomorrow. And that will be, that's right, on Monday the 22nd. And that's going to be at um, 12 o'clock Central. Evelyn Grab, thank you. It's a pleasure to get to know you over the phone. And uh, we look forward to uh, welcoming you at some point soon to San Antonio. Because, mistakenly, I thought you were here all this time. <laughs> You're so kind. Thank you. <laughs> and you also gave me a great idea for a poster. Your problem is your worst problem. I like that. That's right. It's so true. You know, people think it's not, but it is. Hey, thanks. You take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Up next, Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman on Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. We're delighted to welcome Dr. Jamie Heisman on board for Take 10. We conclude each and every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs with Take 10. Jamie is a nationally known psychotherapist and expert on addictions as well as caregiving. And Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is here as well. Carol, you had an idea that really dovetails with what we were talking with Evelyn Greb about just a few minutes ago. Well, I was reading an article um, over the holidays, and there was a gentleman talking about the gifts of caregiving. And I know from our caregiver stress-busting program, you know, we talk about reframing, we talk about anger, we talk about a lot of negative things. Um, and he was saying, I know the gifts of caregiving. So, so Jamie, I was just curious, for people who are caregivers, What's the positive takeaway from being a caregiver? What do people get out of it that's positive in their lives? Well, you know, we have a saying often in the program of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous that says to keep it, you have to give it away. And it's a spiritual path that means maybe for your own existence and your own self, it means you have to share and give and connect with love. And I think if there's any true positive effect of caregiving, when one caregiver looks back at what they've done or while they're in the midst of it, I believe it's that, which creates, of course, another powerful effect, which is called humility. Ah, humility. The, you know, the servant, being a ser- almost like a servant to others. Well, yes, it certainly takes you out of your own you know, self, if you will. I mean, our own selves as caregivers, when we're not taking care of ourselves, doing the right things medically, psychologically, and socially, we become quite self-engrossed in our own world. And, and we become very much, if you will, like victims. And I think that the beauty of giving, at, giving to somebody and giving willingly while you are also first putting yourself as a priority will create uh, this type of humility. And humility, I think, is, is vital for this country to, and for this world, if you will, to make it. Well, now, do you reach that status on your own, sua sponte, or do you have to work to get, 
Carol's looking at me. Oh Every God, once in a while, speaking, I, he's Latin. He's I, speaking in Latin. <laughs> I fall back on my legal training. Okay. Every once in a while, uh, uh, you pull yourself up, or, or does someone help to have to help you do that? You know, it is a process. It's not an event, Ron. I think it's a great concept that you bring up here because I think once you start taking care of yourself and maybe going to see a therapist and being with a support group especially and and really doing the things that you need to do for your own health and happiness, there comes an awareness, which is what we say in therapy is the end of naivete. And that awareness is exactly what we're hoping to kind of talk about right here in this show which is, what's the positive effects here? I mean, this must be happening for a reason. So uh, to answer your question, if you're taking care of yourself, which is the number one thing for a caregiver to do, otherwise they're going to be sucked down the vortex, then you will have the awareness of humility. You will have the awareness of giving back, and you will hopefully grow from the experience. Well, you know, I'm thinking of different caregivers. I've known caregivers who were, you know, sons and daughters who really felt just, you know, my parents loved me and raised me and gave everything to me. And so I just, you know, it's my turn to give back it's to an them. Honor. And it's such an honor. And we hear that. And then you, you know, we have spousal caregivers that they've been married for, you know, 45, 50 years. And of course, you know, good sickness and health, good and mad up and down, you know, now's the time. And, and they're just dead, absolutely dedicated. And for some people, you know, they, they come into the caregiving experience. They just seem to, to be joyous and, and like you talked about, you know, humble and engaged just naturally. But I think that there are other caregivers that we'd have to talk about reframing where they may not be seeing the gifts that they indeed may be receiving from being a caregiver. And they have to learn to step back and look and say, you know, what is it that, what is it, what does this bring me? Um, that might be positive? You know, the beauty of really finding that out is really often found in the support group setting, which you know just through your incredible programs at Caregiver SOS, is that maybe we can't see the positive effects or understand it or we haven't gotten to that point of awareness, um, but we need somebody to reflect back to us from their journey, their own psyche, where they have arrived at or where they're heading to and the way that they have reframed it. Uh, the beauty is, I think, that a caregiver really finds that humility and that, the ability to experience a love that one can give somebody else and then grow from it simply by consistently, if you will, going to that support group. And if we can't find it, to Ron's point, or we don't know about it, believe me, it will be pointed out to us. Well, and, you know, the other, I think that one of the other ways of, of being able to be positive is something that you talk a lot about, which is the mindfulness living in the moment. So if it's a sunny day and you're out for a walk, you know, with the person that you're caring for or you're enjoying a, a Humphrey Bogart movie together, you know, just little things like that, that, you know, living in that moment and just enjoying what there is to enjoy, whether it's the pink flower in the flower bed or uh, finally a, a nice warm sunny day but just those little things and looking for the little things can really boost your spirit as well hold that thought hey now one second for those who just joined us I want to remind you you're listening to caregiver sos on air take 10 the portion of the program we end with on 9 30 a.m the answer ron aaron along with our co-host Carol Zorniel and Dr. Jamie Heisman, and I'm sorry to have stepped on your tongue. You're up, Jamie. We were talking about pink flowers, Pink Ron. flowers, smelling the flowers. No, it is pink flowers, though. It is uh, really the ways to, to find a benefit as a caregiver. And mindful meditation allows us to kind of, you know, put ourselves first and put our own serenity first. And our own serenity is really what we desperately need if we're going to be dealing with our loved ones and often the chaos of what they're going through. And to your point, Carol, there's a great benefit in us feeling stable in the moment through mindfulness, being able to really practice mindfulness, because it allows our loved ones not to feel so scared, not to feel so you know, worried, because don't forget, they're the ones with the chronic illness or the terminal illness or going through the rehab experience. And it's our own mindfulness, our own ability to be on two feet, to be in this moment that gives them sort of safety. And I think that's so, so critical. And the other thing, you know, is that realizing that it's, I think the cancer community does a really good job living with cancer. 
And so life doesn't stop because somebody has a cancer diagnosis, maybe a terminal cancer diagnosis that you're going to be living, you know, as long as you can up well, to that I'm moment. Not, I'm not cancer. Cancer is a disease right. I have, but I'm not. I'm not cancer. cancer, right? Right, and so you know, I think they do a very good job of of living, and I and I think that you know, in a generic way, um, sometimes caregivers may not be able to think about this is my life, and I'm living while I'm caregiving, and how do I do both? How do I have you know some of the the more difficult caregiving issues, but still live my life? Meet you know, em- embrace maybe you know the the goals and the dreams that I have or at least keep working towards them if I can. Well, there's no doubt that when you practice the mindfulness piece that you talk about or to take care of yourself, it I think increases our compassion. And don't forget we've often talked about not a compassion fatigue therapist, the depletion of that compassion whereby we really do burn out and experience good compassion fatigue. So it is so vital, so, so important for us to be able to take care of ourselves if we're ever to find any benefits from, from caregiving. Well, and, and, and we, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, did I hear you correctly? You are a compassion fatigue therapist. Yes. Oddly enough, it does require certification. It's not a license. It did require a good half a year of work with Florida State University. Wow. With uh, a professor, um, uh, Figley, who absolutely who brought in this concept of compassion fatigue, and it really is important not just for caregivers, uh, but now for professional caregivers like doctors, nurses, you know, ARPs, people people who give of themselves simply like a family caregiver. Well, in and and when you don't feel compassionate anymore and you used to, you know, that that's kind of a warning sign. Well, just kind of talking about as we close talking about the gifts of caregiving. One of the things that we teach in our stress busting class is for people to do some journaling and in the journal is to write down, you know, those positive, positive aspects of their lives, try to identify the gifts, what it is that they're getting out of their caregiving experience or what they think their loved one is getting out of it. Because that may be the gift is that, you know, mom got to stay home a little bit longer. Uh, she was got to see your grandkids. Something That's like a good that. assignment for caregivers who may be listening and share those with us. And we're out of time, Jamie. We'll have to pick this up maybe next time on Take 10. But share with us your uh, positives from caregiving. Just email radio at wellmed.net. For Carol Zernio, for Dr. Jamie Heisman, I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air. Presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.